Hello, and welcome to You Should Hear This, a podcast for the everyday association professional. I'm Chris Beeman, your host. In a world filled with a myriad of print, digital, and video mediums, crafting a compelling narrative can seem overwhelming. However, it's a critical endeavor that association leaders must get right to truly make an impact. Today, with our guest, we are going to explore the strategies and insights that will help association leaders align their storytelling efforts with the profound impact of their organizations. Get ready to unlock the secrets of impactful association storytelling. I'm joined today by Kelby Dolan, a results-oriented marketing manager and videographer highly regarded for more than seven years of progressive experience in digital marketing strategy, social media management, and content development. Kelby's current professional role is Director of Experience for the Radio Television Digital News Association, or RTDNA, a team he just joined a few months ago. In his, in quotes, free time, Kelby owns and manages Dolan Videography, a company he started in 2014 that builds and maintains relationships with a variety of clients to support their content needs. Kelby is accustomed to managing multiple competing projects and deadlines simultaneously while ensuring the on-time under-budget completion of superior high-quality outcomes. He's an out-of-the-box thinker committed to refining campaign strategy and skillfully managing external communications to enable growth. Welcome, Kelby. Hey, thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this conversation today. It's something that really, no matter what role in associations we're in, we all play some part in storytelling, right? <laughs> Absolutely. As you went through that bio, and it's such a nice way to start this, I think there's a lot of things I still yet to learn, but I think there's one thing certainly missing here that maybe gives a lot of context into why I do what I do. One of the greatest storytelling places I come from and I'm so proud of as original resident of Springfield, Illinois, is the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Museum. I worked and interned there. My mother lied about my age at 15. You have to be 16 to volunteer there, but she lied about my age so I could start volunteering there. And then I worked in, in many different facets in the library with a bunch of Lincoln scholars. But here's the question I have for you is what I see as one of the top most profound museums in the country there in Springfield, Illinois, being a great storyteller museum. Chris, what do you think is the number one seller in their gift shop? That's a great question. And I don't know. I want to say something like a magnet or a sticker or I don't know. <laughs> sure. So not a magnet or sticker. Do you have any other guesses? A coffee mug? <laughs> coffee mug. So many people always guess top hat, right? Like they're always going for an icon things, right? I'll just tell you, it's books. And as you think about choosing videography or choosing better storytelling, shouldn't the compliment be that once you're done telling your story, that your audience's next thing is to go and buy books, to go and learn more about the story. So if I say nothing else today in this conversation with you, I really want to start with that message because I think what's at the end of the day here is great storytelling should bring on more interest. It shouldn't just be, damn, I'm glad I watched that. Damn, I'm glad I read that. It should be, man, now I'm invested even more. That's fascinating. When you think about the museum experience, you're going to this place to learn about everything you can of a certain topic. And yet people are leaving. They're continuing their journey, really, in learning more. 
about the topic. That's fascinating. Absolutely. And I worked for a museum. I was getting my master's and, and got it in exhibit design and museum studies. And I think what came out of and why videography was because we couldn't afford a videographer. So I just had the software purchased for me and we went and created an exhibit around it. So I don't come from some formal videography background where I studied in college, but over the last decade have had 45 clients that I've worked with and really enjoyed learning the craft and learning from others who do it far better and figuring out my place and the work I do. I love hearing that. I think so many of us, there's two things I, I'm picking up from what you're saying. One is you didn't really have a great budget. You had to start small, right? <laughs> and so many association leaders are probably listening into this without a videography budget, right? They probably just don't have it or it's minimal. And the other thing is that you fell into it because there was a need, which I think really resonates with so many association professionals, right? So let's take that antidote and apply it to associations. How do you, because I assume there's a meaning behind that story, right? You've got the museum and then people are buying books afterward. How do you apply that to the work of associations and the storytelling that they're doing? Yeah. So it's all about content strategy. It's seeing something as more than one-time use. So a lot of clients will come to me and they'll say, I have chosen to use videography for the first time and I need to know how much you charge per hour or for a project because I just know I need to do it. And hopefully in a very patient and understanding way, I approach them and say, here's what I need you to do first to find success. What does that look like? And know that it's not just going to be limited to this one time off video that in a good content strategy for everything we can collect. We can do more with it and tell more stories from it. I don't know if that starts to answer your question, Chris, but I think that budget conscious mind, generally what I do in that client meeting is I'll always make the comment, tell me what your budget is and I'll tell you what we can do with that budget. And even if you're at a, a place where you're like, I am starting from barely anything. What I love to say is sounds like we can go to lunch. And we can sit and talk about how I can empower you to, to do that work, how you can film it with your own great phone and place to get started from. I love that because I think there's so many of us who are fearful, myself included, of using just our iPhone because it seems like this thing that I'm holding and carrying around and texting my friends on and making dinner plans on and grocery lists shouldn't be able to capture that professional video quality. But what I'm hearing you say is, it can, if that's the technology and the resource that I have available in the moment. It's a place to start from, but when you're ready, when you're ready for that next step and you want something more professional, you move to a videographer and with hopefully a teammate, somebody who's going to show up in ways that surprise you. So do you think that just getting started leaves us hungry for more? I guess in my mind, I'm thinking if I'm going to procrastinate on getting started with video and social content, and I just keep pushing it off, I may never feel like I have the right technology or the time. But if I just start with one video on my phone at a conference or something, that leaves the audience wanting more. I'm going to see the metrics on social media that shows how popular that is, but also I'm going to feel really good about the message that I'm sharing. Do you see that? Yeah, I see a lot of people that will leave their phone static sitting on a front conference table 
filming the speaker and it just captures somebody talking at you. And of course, that is a place to start from. There's no shame in the game, right? This is where we could start it at. I think one of the things I look forward to talking with you about too is trends. There's a video I, I really love and there's this performance. But what's so brilliant about this, Chris, is that when you watch it, you also are watching people reacting to her sing and her story. And it has 15 million views. Those things go hand in hand. The opportunity for someone to not only see somebody presenting at your conference, but see the human interaction of somebody sitting there and taking in, actively learning from that conversation, therein lies the difference between good, better, and best. If we're using that uh, profit met metaphor from MSNBC, I don't want to claim that's my own idea, but when we look at those on a scale, we're looking at better when we start getting into what's it look like to take in that information? What's that look like to absorb it and not feel alone sitting behind a computer screen rewatching a conference? You have me thinking actually quite a bit about all of the different mediums and channels and so many questions are coming to mind in terms of delivering that event experience. So in my professional role, I build partnerships, sponsors, exhibits, that type of thing. And I'm just, I'm reflecting on your point that it's not necessarily just the content from the keynote speaker, but it's also the human experience that you've got to be capturing. And I think all, all too often we miss those elements because we're so focused on what we think. How do you break that down? I assume you do a lot of design thinking when you're working with clients. How do you get into the mindset to think about building? Because for most of us, it would just be like, oh, yeah, we need to record the keynote. That's just something that's on our checklist. But how do we step out of that? How do we enter a creative space to think about what else we should be conveying? Yeah. So what do I get into? I get into yoga poses. That's because when I'm filming, I have to be in such strange places to get it from a perspective that's so visually compelling, but is not disruptive to the visitor experience. I also want to be able to get into positions that are, are really capturing the moment in a way that when people watch back, they think, man, I really feel like I get not only a sense of the speaker, but sense of place. So let me tell you about one of my favorite clients. And I am absolutely just brown nosing here because that favorite client was Radio Television Digital News Association. I filmed seven different events for them this year. But one of the things I love is you said design thinking is they're bringing in meditative practices into their conferences. So this year that looks like petting goats and past years bringing in dogs from a rescue shelter and having attendees play with dogs. It looks like hopping in an indie car and racing around, just going on a walk, a meditative walk around the building that's been laid out for you. But a sense of place, I think that is how you would select where those attendees are going to be. And you're thinking beyond the beige walls of conference spaces. I really think that gets you into a conversation of it's more than just me filming, but it's also some of the decisions you make that will help shape the story that we all can tell about your conference or your event. I've got goats in my brain right now. <laughs> and I'm just thinking about when you have those conversations with association leaders, event planners around videography, production, content, what are some of the common goals that you're hearing? Because when I think 
transactionally about bringing goats to an association or a conference, I can understand that they bring the therapy dogs and they've got massage chairs. There's certain parts of the conference that are designed to improve the in-person experience. But how does that content, what story does that tell about the association, about the conference in a non-in-person setting? What are some of the goals that you're hearing when people are saying, Kelby, I want to hire you, and here's what I want your content to be able to do. First, let me tell you what I don't want associations doing anymore with photography contractors. Do not tell them, give them the shot list. Do not tell them that they should go collect general enthusiasm. When you do that, you are so limiting the ability of story, and you're not sharing from your perspective the stories you've seen told in the past. When you do that, you're really living how far your dollar goes with a videographer or a photographer. But by saying, if you caught up with this person and could do an interview as a goal, and then you could film them having a full-on experience, by following that individual, it's, it's a story that your audience can follow. And I think the goal that we're hitting, something where that attendee can say, I'm really proud to be here. But they can also send it to the person that has invested them to be there, a boss or a director or a peer and say, hey, I spent this money, but look at where it's going. Look at the experience I'm having. This is what networking visually looks like. This is what it feels like for me to be here. And I think having that as a strategy does give you that sense of feel, that sense of place, um, and that sense of story that captures the visitor experience design you set out from the start when you started doing walkthroughs of your convention space. And I love that I'm reflecting on personal experience. I was just at a conference where you were doing this work four or five months ago and saw myself on screen with someone I had just met. And it reminded me, hey, I made this new connection. I've got to be sure and follow up with them. Of course, the to-do list builds in my head, but it also gave me the opportunity to reflect on what I'm getting out of the conference and why it's meaningful to me. And to your point, that can happen in real time. It doesn't have to be three weeks later when I'm already back to the normalcy of work and all the to-do lists and everything. Oh yeah, I guess I had a good time, but you're really celebrating that right then and there. That has my favorite Malcolm Gladwell sentiment, which is it's sticky. Like those moments then become sticky because it's like, yeah, I got to follow up with them now. I can't just say I had this networking. It's there it is it's front and center. We got to have it happen. I love that. And there's probably a lot to the concept of stickiness in terms of the work that you're doing, I would assume. It's a factor of being relevant to those strategies and goals, but it's also not allowing buzzwords to happen. So I said my true love is probably for oral history, collecting interviews, and I will avoid like the plague, anytime someone uses buzzwords, if they use a buzzword and answer, it's not acceptable. We've got to come up with the better answer. We got to say, okay, so you said some of my least favorite words in the world, which are engagement and impact, because you're not really saying what you want to say. You're just allowing these buzz terms to be the answer, right? It's humorous to me because my formal title was director of communications and alumni engagement. So I used to have a title that I apparently loathed. But what I do see from this is when you get people to better answers, that level of surprise from an answer is what people are listening to when they watch these videos or when they're taking in content that's in print 
that's in digital that are right. It doesn't just have to live in video. They need to work together. I also think it helps people to be more clear and concise of what the outcome of the project is, right? Because in putting this description together, and I've heard so many times in my communications work, we have to relay the impact. We have to communicate the impact. We have to break that down, what that really means. What really is our impact and spell it out? And then how are we going to communicate that? Because otherwise our deliverable could be any number of things, right? Yeah. When you measure the success or the impact of video watching, it's never about how many watches you have. We had tens of thousands of views on the Qantas International video because there's 4,000 plus people at their conference when we filmed it. They're the happiest place on earth, Walt Disney World. And so people want to watch that. They're inherently interested in seeing Disney, what it looks like on video, even though it's just a conference space. And I really think when we're measuring the success of a video or of some of this communications content, it should be looking at the comments back. It should be looking at that developed discussion. Think of those books that are sold at the Presidential Museum in Springfield. Think of that ongoing debate that people are having about what it looks like moving forward and therein lies success. One of the things that I wanted to be sure and talk to you a little bit about, because the associations that I've worked for at least are tens of thousands of members strong. And I know that that varies, but one of the things that I think a lot of associations are considering is user-generated content. Because again, I would assume association with tens of thousands of members can generate massive amounts of user-generated content, but I've discovered that's really not always the case. And I'm curious how you are seeing associations work with member-generated content, anything from sourcing to managing to producing and deploying, and how do you manage quality when you have, I assume, little control over what someone sends to you? Yeah. Show, don't tell. Show the template. Don't tell them how to do it, but be consistent in the work you do. Formerly worked for Sigma Alpha Mu International Fraternity. And my user-generated content was from undergraduate men. And what I realized after uh, one of our, our biggest accomplishments uh, in forming a community, which is really the goal of social media, our accomplishment was that we posted over a thousand days in a, in a row without missing one day of a posted content. But that happened because our undergraduates who supply a lot of that content saw how the headquarters was posting and then went to replicate that. And I had built out what I thought was a wonderful template with some undergraduates or communication interns. And that's great, right? It got the first five early adopters in the door. But by the time that we got all of our chapters starting to replicate content was because they just saw the way headquarters were doing it and saying, wow, that really sticks. Wow. That really slaps. That really, that's what we want it to be, right? Like they're like, heard, cool, let's move forward. And that was where we started experiencing the most success. So appreciate your early adopters who you create templates for, but then from there, rely upon the fact that when you put out your content, it should be exemplary of the way that you would want them to do it as well. For associations with chapters and or maybe member influencers, industry leaders, 
is there a certain expectation for or should associations set expectations and guidelines for what is being posted and how they're collecting that for example you've got an indiana state chapter and they're doing some really good work and they're posting about it on their platform a should the national or international office be monitoring that for quality control and also b how are you then from a national office repurposing that are you saving it downloading it tucking it away in a media library so that you can use it later can you talk to me a little bit about that process yeah in the example of the fraternity our goal was reposting giving them credit and putting it in front of more alumni who we were directly speaking to right that was our big audience was uh, the alumni base the undergraduates would like it, but they weren't necessarily the ones being influenced by it. It was a far more passive experience that they had. So to answer that question, um, we are, I think, responsible for setting expectations of what it looks like, making sure that if it is or is not appropriate, we're having that conversation, but transparency matters. And it matters when you can jump on a phone call or hear tone of voice. When you're saying this isn't exactly what we're looking for, or this is what better might look like, or this is how we can affix what we, what you had intended to originally do that level of transparency, as opposed to being an admin on social media or somewhere else who says, this isn't going to fly, we're taking it down, or we're taking down the comment section without any explanation of why those things are poor and just show your limited staff time that you have to dedicate to it. And sometimes that's your reality. So I'm not here to shame it. It's just when you have that time or when you have that practice written down and you're being transparent and you're taking the time to be thoughtful with your audience who are also producing their own content, that's, you've got to take that opportunity. You've got to show up for them, respond to them, have an active conversation with them. And when they're experiencing su success, cheer them on, be an advocate just as much for them. I would imagine the line is very thin between, you know, the communications expectations and allowing people to deliver a message very authentically, even with an association with just 50 state chapters, for example, each of those different 50 state chapters may be saying something very similar, but in a nuanced way. And I think sometimes as associations, or at least maybe I've seen, we have an expectation for high quality, but we forget that allowing for the authenticity of the message is actually more important than perfectly aligning with brand standards. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Pre prepare to be surprised. Allow yourself yeah. to grow. Yeah. Whenever I set out a template, there's always an option D that says, go crazy, folks. Go and make it happen and we'll check back in with you. Trust us to do our work as well. We know the process, but it doesn't have to define the way you move forward. Less and less, but used to be that the associations were the storytellers. They were compiling everything that was going on, all the industry news, everything into an e-newsletter. They were sending it out. And now we have people who are telling the association story. They don't need our approval to talk about their experience with the association it's all, everything is out on social media. 
speaking of social media, I know we've got a few minutes left and I want to be sure and we were we returned to the conversation around trends. Could you share one to two trends in content and communications that listeners should be paying attention to? Absolutely. I, I definitely want to answer that question. And it feels like a trend answer, but it's going to be maybe trend adjacent to get started. I just want to make sure I get to say this, that it is coming from a very sincere place. When someone says that we've chosen videography as our answer to move forward, but we didn't choose you as our videographer. I am still so okay with that, that you're choosing the industry or I get a client and the client works with me. We have a good relationship over the year and they say, we're ready to move on to a bigger videography firm. That is great because high tide raises all ships. We need you as the listeners of this podcast to start choosing videography because you need to be transparent with your members who are taking in a visual culture. So talking about trends, the trend I'm seeing is young people and what they consume. And sure, there is TikTok short form, but there is also long form in TikTok and YouTube where it's 20 minutes long. What people are ready and wanting to consume and the reason why Netflix just doesn't dissipate is because they've chosen to dedicate themselves to better stories. And when their content isn't storytelling or is self-referential or things that aren't moving forward with this sincere generation we see people moving forward with, it won't last. It's not lasting. So the big trend here is, it seems maybe cliche to say it's storytelling, but really what it is actively choosing that whether you're creating it as short form. So Chris, would you agree that could be five, 10, 15 seconds? Yeah. Seems, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then long form is anywhere from a minute long to this half hour podcast. People will tune into it when they know that storyline is worthy of investing their time into. I think of someone like Sarah Koenig, who I got to film a uh, big podcaster, right? 450 million downloads there at the First Amendment Awards. She was honored at RTDNA's event. Um, and when they were mentioning that during her awards bit, she was like deflecting. She was like, no, that's not me. That's the success of people interested in this topic. But she's choosing long form. There is these, those podcasts, you know, I can't speak to it, are maybe 45 minutes long, maybe 20 minutes long, sometimes an hour. But people have 450 million times chosen that. So as I reference that as a trend, it isn't the power of how quickly you can say message, but it's really choosing that when you think of the elements of the story, your characters, you're thinking of your epilogue, you're thinking of your conflict. It's making sure that those are a front, that it's not just something that is, we may or may not have it. And we're just trying to do a feel good piece here. Put people in their feels. That's the trend I'm seeing that works time and time again. And let it be honest to the industry you work in, not just making something that's a feel good because of so-and-so reason. Does that answer your question, Chris? I'm, I'm wondering if I'm getting to a, an answer here. I, I think it does. To be honest with you, Kelby, there, we can Google communication strategies and trends and stuff. But what the point that you're making, at least that I'm hearing, which is so important, 
is that the rules of last year, the rules of 10 years ago, it's okay to break those, right? Because I'm hearing you talk about the long form and short form. If you were to ask me 10 years ago what short form is, that would be a minute long video, right? <laughs> that used to be short form. Now, any longer than 10 seconds is, wow, that's getting pretty long. And it's, I think that it's, to your point, it has to be your true authentic message. It's gone are the days of saying, all right, we're going to do a podcast and this podcast must be 25 minutes because that's best practice. What's best practice is what works for your audience and for your members and your association. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, I had this other trend that's right on my mind, so I didn't have a great response to that. I apologize. Uh, but what's just right on the tip of my mind as a trend, and it maybe speaks to what you were starting to talk about, was choosing videographers as early adopters. So meaning I got my start with Indiana Society of Association Executives with Mark McSweeney and with the people of ISE because I wasn't a great videographer. I was just getting started, but they knew that there was a relationship we could form and starting to choose video as an option. So the trend I want to call attention to is look out for young videographers who are getting started. Maybe they've shot a couple weddings or maybe they've done some things and you can get a great price as an association. And maybe the footage isn't as worrisome, like in having it be as professional as much as it is. You're just saying, I just want to start collecting it. That decision as a trend, as we see more associations choosing videographers, choosing videography as well as photographers, uh, as creative people, when you choose to invest in them and help them get their start, you are improving the industry. You are choosing that we are going to do something better and videography can get better than just thinking I'm going to maybe have a couple minutes as the executive director to get my phone out and shoot a couple things. No, allow somebody to have that be their sole work that they do. So in this trend, I have to thank Indiana Society of Association Executives for helping me get my start. I've now shot for them for the last eight years for free for just branding back of putting my name out there. But that name recognition and relationship building I've done with Karen Farsing or Christine Robinette or with Corey Martin or any number of people that I've gotten the opportunity to work with, regardless, just mentioning Tara Pucky, my new now executive director, right? I am so fortunate for those relationships because all of them chose to invest in me in a place of real growth for me, where I was at a place that wasn't where I wanted to exactly be, but they were ready to see me go there. There are many other videographers doing the same, and I hope you choose them. That is the big message I want to make sure is carried through today because you too, like the Presidential Museum, can be selling books from the stories you tell. And wouldn't it be great if people invested just as much in your association or your groups, membership-based groups story, just as much and gets deeper into it. So beautifully said. So <laughs> beautiful. Thanks, Kelby. Yeah, I love the call to action to take risks on those hungry to learn and grow and develop because there will be that passion and fire that ignites them. So appreciate that, Kelby. If listeners would like to connect with you following listening to this, how can they find you or where can they be in touch? Yeah, it's my first and last name.com, kelbydolan.com. I have a 
a website that's a bit dated, but I'm proud of it because it shows a lot of the association work I've done. Uh, you can check me out on YouTube as well. You can find Dolan Videography when searched on YouTube, or you can just shoot me an email, which again is just as simple as kelbydolan at gmail.com. Reach out. I'll be more than happy to not just tell you I'm the answer, but put you in touch with who I think can help move you forward and uh, start the conversation. And thank you for uh, having me on today, Chris. I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh my gosh. Thank you for being here. It's been a privilege. I've enjoyed it. Wonderful. And we hope you have enjoyed this episode of You Should Hear This. If you have any questions you've answered or future topics you'd like us to explore, please send us an email at info at isae.org. Thank you for your leadership of your associations, and I'll see you over on the next episode of You Should Hear This.